Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. So I was I was thinking about Romeo and Juliet the other day. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the Capulets and the Montagues, and I feel like there's a, a family that kind of occupies a similar memory address in my brain, which is the Medicis, I think is how you pronounce it. Medicis or Medicis, but I agree with Medicis. you that I don't know exactly how to say it. Uh, yeah, well, anyway, we're going to talk about them. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Tell me what you know about the Medicis. Uh, not very much. Uh, Res- Renaissance era Florence, right? Yep. And weren't they like a banking family? They were a big, I would almost call them a royal family. I got to look this up now. Yeah, an Italian banking family, political dynasty, and later royal house. So together we kind of got it. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take it. So one of the things that's interesting about the Medicis is they were coming into power during a very interesting and important time in Italian history and European history, really. Not just because the Renaissance was happening, but because this is maybe I'm sure a very related thing, but what was going on at the same time was previous to this in, especially in their part of Italy, the government was decentralized and there were a number of different families that were in control of their various little pieces of turf or particular markets that they were in control of, but it was more of an oligopoly than a monarchy. There was a balance of of powers, so to speak, between the different families. And there wasn't one that was incredibly dominant. And what the Medicis were able to do was to become that dominant family. They became the family of Florence. And then eventually, like you said, their power even propagated out to the entire continent of Europe. Mm-hmm. So what does this all have to do with data science? <laughs> one thing we haven't talked about yet on this podcast very much is social networks. Oh, hey, I actually, I work at Facebook now. <laughs> yeah, you do. So this is this is right up your alley, right? Right, in, in a sense. It's funny, actually, I work at Facebook, but um, I, I'm not a huge social network user myself. I mean, I use it at work, of course, but I, I don't use it as much in my personal life. Well, Ben, if you wanted to take over 16th century Florence, I think that would be a big disadvantage to you. I would be so bad at it. <laughs> so... So we're not quite talking about Facebook in Renaissance era Florence, but it's it's kind of similar in a way. Yeah. So Facebook is just an online version of social networks. And of course, social networks have existed for as long as people have been establishing relationships with each other. Yeah. I got friends. You got friends. Some of our friends happen to know each other, you know? Mm-hmm. What the Medicis were able to do is they were able to put themselves in a really central location in the Florence social graph. So they, a few things that were not true of the Medicis, and this is, this is why uh, this analysis was so important, this social network. They were not the most rich. They were not the most powerful. They did not have control of the most important markets. They were not superlative in any of the traditional senses of what makes a family powerful. What they mm. were was sitting right at the middle of the network of the other important families that were powerful. Right. And so one important thing to keep in mind, this doesn't necessarily even mean geographically. It just means that they happen to know all of the right people, um, whether by partially by coincidence or partially by uh, skill in figuring out who were the good people to know and uh, kind of managing those social relationships. They ended up in the very center of that social graph. Yes. So what they found is they looked at the marriage networks of Medici's and also the economic networks and found that not every single family had a direct connection to the Medici's, but 
if you wanted to get from family A to family B, there might not be a direct, if there's a direct line, then it's, it's trivial, right? You go over and it, neighbor B, you already have a relationship with him. And so as, as family A and it's, it's trivial, but in general, there were not those direct connections. So you'd have many more people that you weren't directly connected to than families that you were directly connected to. So in general, what you have to do is work the graph and you have to make steps along the edges of the graph to get where you want to go. Yeah, so this is this is kind of like friends of friends on Facebook or any other social network. You know, you've got your list of friends. Uh, I've got my list of friends, and uh, the overlap is often in the friends of friends or the friends of friends of friends. Like you see that on LinkedIn as well with work relationships. Exactly. Any of these families, you can get from basically any family to any other family without going through the Medici's. It's mm. just that many of the shortest routes go through the Medici's, and oh, that's what's really powerful about where they were sitting is that they're sitting along the most traveled sort of lanes in these social graphs. And so when people need to make stuff happen, it happens through the Medici's. Right. Because that's the shortest path. That's the most convenient. That's the shortest number of people, the smallest number of people that you have to talk to in order to get from where you are to, let's say, your friend or your potential customer, uh, you know, whoever that person is, it's easiest to go through the Medici's in a sense. Um, oh, what's the what's the guy on MySpace? You know, you get a when you got a new MySpace account, you were automatically friends with the founder. Oh, I've heard of him, but I don't know his name. I can't remember his name, but but anyway, that guy. Like everybody on MySpace is literally friends with that guy. The Medici's were almost that guy, except that people actually knew the Medici's as opposed to the founder of MySpace. Not many people actually know him. Yeah, and the the takeaway that you can make from that also is that in general when you're looking at situations where you're trying to maximize the influence or the chance that you would be in a position of power uh, the Medici's demonstrated that it's not necessarily just about whether you actually have the most power in the traditional sense but it's almost more about who you know and what connections you're able to make and that that can be more important than whether you have you know the biggest bank account or you're in control of the most powerful resources. It's it's whether you're the person, the mover and the shaker, the person who can make things happen. Mm. And there's a related uh, study on this. As I was reading up on this, I was reminded of something that they are working on at Stanford that's really similar. And I think this is very cool. This is called Mapping the Republic of Letters. And this is a project that's run out of Stanford. And what they're doing is there's a group of people who are interested in Enlightenment era humanities. So these are some of your French professors and your classical English literature professors, people who are studying uh, Voltaire and Benjamin Franklin and Jonathan Swift and all of these people who in the late 1700s or so were, were coming up with the Enlightenment, basically. And they would communicate with each other a lot by letters. And so there's been a lot of study in the past of these individual letters where you have Voltaire and, and he's writing to Alexander Pope and someone will will write a paper or make a career even out of trying to probe that link and figure out what's the connection between the Enlightenment in France as being you know, represented by Voltaire and the Enlightenment mm. in England as being represented by Alexander Pope. And So what these folks at Stanford were able to do was they were able to collect huge bodies of letters from these people, uh, both the famous people and the not famous people, because Voltaire, for example, wrote thousands and thousands of letters over his career. Not most of them were not to extremely famous people. They were to other people, people who are not as high profile, but might also be 
again, sort of like the Medici's, not high profile, mm-hmm. but well connected. So, so yeah. they were able to find other nodes in these correspondence graphs that they hadn't realized were as important before. But so this is interesting. Fundamentally, what they're doing is they're just making a social graph, kind of like Facebook or any of those other social networks where they're making a little new user account for everybody who, let's say, Benjamin Franklin wrote a letter to, and then they looked at, they look at all those people's letters and they just kind of build out this network. And, um, and of course, the stronger connections are the connections where people wrote to each other more frequently. And then as they study that network, they can actually learn new things about the way that ideas traveled around the world during the Enlightenment. So there was already some wisdom about this, right? I mean, they kind of knew... like fundamentally who was connected most to who else, right? Well, they didn't, they didn't, because they had individual examples of letters. For example, we talked about Voltaire and Alexander Pope. But then when you place the fact that they corresponded several times with each other within the context of each of their respective graphs, you realize that that's actually a fairly weak connection. It's a very interesting connection because they're both very important people. But that Voltaire was actually talking far more to thinkers in France than he was in England. And that gave us a whole new idea about the way that the ideas of the Enlightenment were interacting in these various various countries, England, France, the United States, and gave us a different idea about how the ideas actually propagated around. So this analysis isn't just uh, bolstering what we already know. It's actually disproving some of the things that we already know and accept and kind of giving us a more complete picture of the of everything that was going on. Yeah, because with the computers, you can actually, in a way, hold in memory at one time the fact that there are many thousands of letters going out. And yeah. so then you get a much more complete picture of what's going on. You don't overemphasize a connection just because it seems interesting. You can put it into its proper statistical context and say, does it seem like this was actually an important correspondence to either of these authors or was it just something that you do along the side and it, it really was maybe not as big of a deal? Right. And from a from a very human perspective, it's it's like a zooming out, you know, because like uh, if I take one of the nodes in my graph or actually if I just take myself and I, I think like, OK, I know who I correspond with more than other people. But when I go on a social network and I see, oh, my gosh, this friend of mine is actually really good friends with this other friend of mine. I had no idea. Right. Uh, the more the the further back you can zoom, the more patterns you can see, and you can actually start uh, connecting these things and hypothesizing based off of those connections, rather than just looking at the connections that you're able to hold in your head at one time or that you're privy to because of your particular specific field of study within this time period. You can also get ideas of new places where you should be studying and other places where you should be looking for letters. So, for example, Voltaire and Benjamin Franklin never actually corresponded directly, but each of them had a lot of correspondence with Octavie Dure de Menciere. Who is that? Oh, I have, yeah. I have no idea, right? I've never heard of him. <laughs> but if you can find all the letters that that person uh, has sent, then there's actually a, mm. a pretty decent link between Voltaire and Benjamin Franklin through this, through this I assume, French, maybe aristocrat. And and there are a number of other people like that who are showing up on the graph. You've never heard of them before, but they're they're the Medicis of this social enlightenment social network uh, where they themselves maybe don't have their names in the history books, but they were talking to all the people and they might have been the conduits through which some of these ideas were actually being exchanged, even if people were not speaking directly to one another. 
Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lin Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.